0: But please join me, um, moving along in uh, your Bible or on the bulletin, where Philippians three, uh, one through eleven. This morning's scripture is Philippians three, one through eleven. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evil doers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Please pray with me. Jesus, we love you this morning, and we thank you for your word. Thank you for Brian, who you've prepared to speak to us. I pray that we'd be humble to receive his words. And God, I pray that we would learn and increase our knowledge of your love for us, our knowledge of your power, and that we could go out from here, Jesus, and honor you with the way that we live being servants and being focused more on you than ourselves. Jesus, we love you and pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right. Good
1: morning, everyone. We are studying the book of Philippians. And am I on here, Todd? a little technical issue this morning. That's okay. We're studying uh, the book of Philippians. Paul is pivoting this morning from what he has been writing about. This morning, as we read, he is writing um, something. There it is. <laughs> He's writing something that's deeply personal to him. So when we talk about things that are, that are personal, that are, that are deeply personal, things that we build our life on, that can make us, um, uh, you know, at times it can make us a little bit uncomfortable, so let me, um, let me start this way by saying that Paul is teaching in this passage that the things that he held on to once in his life, the things that he held on to as the most important, he now considers them as nothing compared to Christ. And when you think about that for a moment, the things that we hold on to most in this world— he now considers them as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. The things that we hold on to most in life are the things that we build our identity on. Our accomplishments, the things we do in this world, the things we complete, our uh, our accomplishments, our our life resume, we build an identity on these kinds of things. So I think we have a, a a, a summary this morning, just a very brief, and the, this is kind of where we're going to go this morning. So often we build our identity and worth through our accomplishments, but a gospel identity means that knowing Christ exceeds all of our accomplishments in life. So let's, let's just talk about this for one moment, about this idea of forming a, an identity through accomplishments and, and how this works in life and how it opens up doors for us. So I'll start off kind of silly and then see how it can work and and often even create conflicts in life. When I was in middle school, I was at a private Christian school in a small town. And when I was in high school, I switched over to the high school. And I was a very shy kid, and um, meeting new people was hard for me and, and didn't have a lot of friends, switching over to uh, the high school. But what saved me was uh, P.E. class because quickly found out that I could throw a football or a baseball or something better than most. Now, I wasn't the best, but I was better than most. And what I quickly learned was this, is that when you're in high school, if you're somewhat athletic, that opens doors for you. People want you on their team. You you have friends. As we progress in life and we think about this, you have to accomplish things to have doors open for you. If you want to go to college, you have to have decent grades. If you want to go to graduate school, you have to have de- decent grades in undergrad to get into grad school. If you want a job, you have to, we, we all build a resume of life. And the problem though, is that if we build our life, our identity on these things that we accomplish, it leads to a life that's unstable. It leads to a life that's can't be sustained in a healthy way. It leads to conflict in relationships. Now, here's a, a silly example, and I think I've shared this before. When Karen and I were first married, and, uh, and and we were married for about a year, and then Chase was born. And I remember we were we were living on Zumarez, and we had this great little house, and we could walk to the beach together, and It was wintertime. It was was this time of year, and we went for a walk, and the stream was flowing at Zumarez down there at the the beach. And Karen had jumped over to the other side, and here's Chase, like this little, tiny little baby, like, I don't know, a week or two weeks old. And I said to her, okay, you jump over there, and and I'll toss Chase (laughs) over to you. I was very confident from my athletic days of high school that I could throw Chase about three feet, and Karen could catch him quite easily. She thought that was the stupidest thing in the world. And like, you're not doing that to my son. So that's a silly example that my identity shaped my choices in life. Her identity, which is better than mine, was on taking care of a brand new baby than tossing him across a stream. Allow me this morning to press deeper into our lives about the things that we build our identity on and we know this to be true, if you happen to be successful or good at something, doors open for you. That's how the world works. And when we build our identity on those things, it can lead to a life that is unstable and Paul is going to offer us an alternative, a different way to live. So as I was studying this week, and and typically I try to create Um, a flow of thought that that Paul has or he's writing. But this this week, when when you're studying someone's deepest thoughts and, and writing from their heart, it becomes more challenging to create structure. But what we're going to do then is this idea of asking the question, what is it that we build our identity on? Is it our accomplishments or is it Christ? And which leads to a better life? And so Paul begins by warning the Philippians. So Paul is sitting in jail under house arrest in Rome, and he's writing this letter to the Philippians to try to encourage them. And he begins with a warning. And the warning has to do with spiritual pride. It has to do with a group of people who want to put something on, put a a morality or an act of obedience on the Philippians, and he's going to give a warning. So if you have your green handout or you have your Bible, let me show you this. Starting in verse two, you'll see the words that are repeated. He says, look out, look out, and look out. He says it three times. So he's warning us to pay attention to something here. And Paul, he's not using his nice words here. He's using words like dog, evildoers, and those who mutilate the flesh. As I was studying this week, I really didn't have the intention of spending a lot of time talking about circumcision. It's a little creepy, it's a little gross, it's a little too close to home, it's personal, it's not something that we would wanna talk about, but it's something that was important in the times of the Bible. So let me just give you a very quick snapshot of what's happening here and try to give some clarity and make some sense. Hopefully I can make circumcision connect to your life today. That's my (laughs) job. For just a moment, I'll be brief. All right, in Old Testament times, circumcision was a sign, was a covenant between God and his people it starts in Genesis chapter 17 with Abraham, and it goes on. And it became a, a tool or it became a way to control people, to manipulate people, to say that you must do this act to be a true follower. So when we get into New Testament times, there are these believers in Philippi, and there are another group of people that say, you must add this to Christ you must add this thing to Christ. To be true, to be genuine, to be real, add this thing to Christ. And probably the first question we would ask is, why not just have it be a tattoo instead of cutting off something? Why not just have it be something that's a little bit easier to deal with? Well, here's, here's the point. Circumcision, in its literal sense, is yucky, it's bloody, It's personal and it points to something that is real within all of us. And it points to the reality of sin. Now let me connect this in the sense that it was misunderstood. What happens when you are in a relationship with somebody and you lie to them or you do something that hurts the relationship? Let's say hypothetically that that you have a family inheritance and you lie to your mother or your father, and now they're going to say what? You are cut off from the family inheritance. So when you do something in a relationship with somebody, you create a cutting off. Let me give you an example in marriage. You have a a disagreement or something with a husband or wife and maybe somebody like instead of uh, laying in their normal posture in bed, what do they do? They like, like roll like this and you get my back now because I'm cutting you off. Have we done this? So Paul is saying this, that this thing that was once done literally is now to be taken as a metaphor In fact, Paul writes this in Colossians. He says that Jesus Christ was the circumcision. Now, what in the world does that mean? It means that God cut off Jesus Christ from fellowship with him so that when we disobey God, we will not be cut off. So circumcision is a metaphor of cutting off something and that because Christ was circumcised, we no longer will be cut off from God. So here's what Paul is saying. Verse three says this, for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God. So what is cut off in our lives? The metaphor, sin in our life. So when, 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 you, when you become a follower of Christ, sin is cut off. It's to be taken as a metaphor And there are these people, a group of people, that say you must add on. You must do this thing. All right? So we'll stop there now. Here's what happens in life. Some people function out of spiritual pride. The issue today is not circumcision. It can be anything. Every decade it changes. The issues change. But what Paul is saying is don't be a person who builds your identity on adding things to the gospel. And people do that all the time. Here are the signs. They separate from people. They say things like, I'm the only one. You have to follow me alone. Only this denomination. Only this leader. Only this particular person. And Paul says to be aware of spiritual pride. Be aware of people who use moralism or good behavior and added to the gospel. So he uses these words like dog, evildoers, and look out for people who mutilate the flesh. So he's using such hard language and here's why. He does not want anything added to the gospel. That the gospel is the good news about Jesus Christ alone. It's not about adding things to the gospel. It's not about being a worker of the law. So, He says in contrast, we worship or we serve by the spirit of God and we boast in the glory of of Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. So, number one is this, he, Paul is saying this, be aware, be alert to people who are spiritually prideful, who are spiritually arrogant, who want to add things to the gospel who want to form, that? here's what happens. You form an identity by criticizing other people, by saying, those are not the real Christians. They're not spiritual. We are. We're the ones that have doctrinal purity. We're the ones, we're the, elite. we're the ones that know. The gathering is the only place. And Paul is saying, don't add anything to the gospel. Keep the gospel pure, the gospel of grace pure, Don't boast in anything other than Christ alone. So Paul says this, if you want to boast about something, if you want to compare resumes, talking to these people, if you want to compare resumes, if you want to compare accomplishments in life, let's do it. So he says this, and this is now gets to the part where we're talking about personal accomplishments compared to Christ are worthless. So here's what he says. And we won't spend a lot of time on this, but we'll just talk, touch on that briefly. He says that if there's anyone that has a reason to be confident in the flesh, if there's anyone that has a reason to boast in human accomplishments, it's me. So Harvard grads, Harvard PhDs, Ivy League PhDs, um, Oscars, Grammys, Medal of Honors, all of whatever the things are today that we view as the ultimate in accomplishments. Paul says they're viewed as loss. Now let's think about this for one second. Here, second. We'll read through it and then we'll apply this. So he says this, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. Now why, would, why does that matter? Why would he even say that? Like who cares? Here's why. He's not a convert to Judaism. He's born Jew of a Jew, that there's racial purity. Then he says this, a tribe of Benjamin. Who cares about that? Well, that's because there's only two tribes, Benjamin and Judah, during the time of Rehoboam that stayed loyal to David. So he's, he's putting his, his, resume, his accomplishments, he's putting in front of us the things that matter. And he goes on and says this, a Hebrew of Hebrews, that is to the law, a Pharisee, that means that he is one of the most educated leaders in Judaism. So here's what he's saying, Paul calls all of these accomplishments as meaningless, and as we think about this for a moment, and we think about accomplishments and think about life today, that, accompli- that credentials, resumes, all of these things, what do they do for us today? They can get you a job. They can get you a boyfriend or a girlfriend. They can get you friends. And this is where it's difficult and it requires reflection. It's not easy because it's getting to the core of who we are as people. We function by being some of us. It's different for everyone on being charming, by being attractive, by being friendly. So your resume might not say Harvard on it, but you're handsome and you've got lots of friends You might be handsome, have a nice smile, but you might live at home in your mom's garage and so you're single and you have no chance of employment. So what is it that you build your identity on? What is it that opens doors for you in this world? For Paul, it was all of these things and here's what they represent. They represent security, success, stability, the life that everyone wants. And at the deepest level, your resume, your accomplishments in life let you into your own heart. Often we live with frustrations. Think about this for a moment. If you were, um, if I, in my own life, if I was uh, three classes away from graduating from seminary, and I still haven't. How would I feel about myself? That would be some angst in my life, getting so close to something, but not quite yet. What about if you're single and you want to be married? What is it that will open the doors for you? Well, we know today that the things that open doors for us are things like wealth, and attractiveness, and the right personality. And he says they're dangerous. The things of this world that open doors for you today, I'm gonna use Paul's literal language. I'll use the the Greek word with a slight bit of tactfulness. The things of this world that open doors for you today are crap. Literally, the Greek word is human excrement, it's waste. In contrast, here's why. All of the accomplishments of the world that open doors for you today will not open the door that gives you access to God. And everyone's soul and heart aches for access to God. And we live our lives for decades and our whole lives can be built and shaped around building an identity all around the accomplishments of this world and we're left empty. The, I, I can give you example after example. Let me just give you two off the top of my head that I read this week. One, is, and this is an old one. This is from a, um, an interview from uh, Tom Brady on 60 Minutes many, many years ago. I think it was after his third Super Bowl. And he said something like, you can see it's on 60 Minutes. He said something like, is this all there is? Is this all there is to life? While while his teammates are celebrating, he was sitting alone, he said, and and began to reflect on his life and said, is this all there is? Right? And every athlete in the world focuses their life, every football player focuses their life on accomplishing that. If you're not an athlete, maybe you're a writer, there was an actor that when uh, in the 80s was uh, a big deal. And uh, I believe his name was Tim Allen and he had the, um, the sitcom Home Alone or no? I don't know. Home Improvement, thank you. Quite funny, yes. Home Improvement. There was one year, Home Improvement was the number one show. He wrote a book that was a New York Times bestseller and he starred in a movie, something related to Santa Claus. And he said it was the most depressing time of his life that his life was empty. I believe it was a, an article in the New York Times. So we should reflect for a moment and think about what is it at the core of who you are that shapes your ident- identity? What is it that you think is missing from your life that you need, that you need access to, the doors that you need open that will give you life? Paul says, that in comparison to Christ, nothing else matters. So here's what he says, verse seven. Here's his key point, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So he is saying that those things, the things of the world, no matter how good they are, and they are, many of them are good things. They will never open the door to God for you. And the thing that your life and your soul desires more than anything else is to be loved and accepted by God. So, here's Paul now. He's been a believer for 30 years. He's sitting in a a jail or in a home in Rome under house arrest and he's writing this letter to them. He's reflecting on his life, and he says this, that, that my chief aim in life, think about this, you've been a Christian for 30 years. What happens to us? happens in my life? Complacent, comfortable, easiness, and he says this, that the chief aim of his life is to know Christ. I read something uh, this week from a, a a British theologian, and he <clears throat> he talked about this and what happens in life and what we see here in Paul. He said that before he came to Christ, his life was consumed with material things. That his spiritual life he just didn't care that much about. That that it it was kind of irrelevant, that he keep wanting he keep he kept wanting to progress and wanted more in life. And then when he became a Christian, he said his life was transformed. He said he became content with material things and had a lack of contentment in his knowledge of Christ. He said he wanted more of Christ. And here's what Paul is saying, that it is his chief aim to know Christ. So let's think for a moment then, what does it mean when he says this? in verse eight, that I count everything as lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. What does that mean to know Christ? So, let's start this way. We have to differentiate between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. Differentiate in your life the difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. So, quiz time. Number one, where was Jesus born? St. Louis, Albuquerque, or Bethlehem? (laughs) You're probably one for one. What was his dad's name? Peter, Paul, Mary, or Joseph? Mom's name? Betsy, Anne, or Mary? How did he die? In a convalescent home or on a cross? Where was he baptized? The Mississippi, the Columbia, or the Jordan River? How did Jesus teach? with parables. Who betrayed Jesus? Simon, Peter, Paul, or Judas? Well, if you've been around church, you probably scored 100. If you haven't been around church, that might be good good for you. Here's my point. Can you, in all honesty, without any hypocrisy, in your heart as best you can differentiate the difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus because one will have a completely different trajectory of your life. Knowing about Jesus means this, that you're comfortable, you're complacent, you're done growing, you're quite content and happy. You know the Bible, you can quote Bible verses and you know the Old Testament, New Testament. You know systematic theology, biblical theology, historical theology. You can use the word salvific in a sentence. All the while and not know Christ. And this, this connects very deeply to this idea of what is shaping your life. The culture around you that says this, Form your identity on your accomplishments versus a gospel-formed identity. A gospel-formed identity says, knowing facts about Christ, it's okay, but knowing him deeply is what matters most, and your life will be shaped. A church filled with people who know facts about Jesus but don't know him personally will be stagnant, boring, and irrelevant. A community of people that want to pursue Christ will be alive, will be creative, will love one another, will serve one another. And so how do we do this? If you want to know Jesus, you want him a part of your life. You want him a daily part of your life. If you want to know about Jesus, He's irrelevant during the week to you. And by the way, if that is the case and your life is formed more by accomplishments and your, your identity is formed more by how you feel and, 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 and what drives your own personal agenda, it's going to lead to conflict in your relationships. Because if your identity is formed in your feelings alone, Just a reminder, your feelings change all the time. You'll say things like this. I'm so in love with you on Monday. And then on Friday, you'll say, who the H-E double hockey sticks are you? I think you're completely crazy. That's a modern identity because your life is built on how you feel and it leads to continual conflicts. An identity formed on the gospel is shaped by you knowing Christ. All right, let me just give you a few specifics of what that exactly means according to Paul and his writings here. Number one, to know Christ means that you want to gain Christ. Here's what he says, verse, uh, middle verse eight. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, as complete, utter trash. And here it is, in order that I may gain Christ. So number one, if you want to know Christ, it means you want to gain Christ, which means that something else has to be as loss. Something has to lose in your life if you're gonna gain Christ. And what he's saying is this. What was lost for him was his whole being of accomplishments. His whole pathway to success and stability in life, he counted as lost. So if you want to know Christ, we're gaining Christ. That means you're saying no To some things. I think honestly, one of the most important things, and think about this with raising children, is my own life teaching and knowing and learning to say no to some things. We can't say yes to everything. A wise person says no to the right things, and a wise person says yes to gaining Christ. Sometimes we don't want to say no to anybody. We're afraid to hurt someone's feelings. We're afraid that it just might create problems. And I'm saying this, that you have to say no to something to gain Christ. Number two, if you want to know Christ, you have to obey Christ. Look what Paul says. He says this, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord And he puts the personal pronoun, my Lord. So Paul viewed Jesus Christ as the Lord of his life. That that meant that his will was surrendered to Jesus Christ. Knowing Christ means that you're willing to obey him, even when it's uncomfortable. So knowing Christ means that you want to gain Christ. Knowing Christ means that you will obey Christ, even when it's hard and challenging and it's difficult, you'll think through it, you'll contemplate, you'll wrestle with it, you'll be honest with it. You'll, you'll understand that life isn't always super simple and you have to be willing to reflect and, and life is nuanced sometimes and sin can trick us and deceive us into thinking, where well, everything's okay. It's not my fault, it's somebody else's fault. And when you view Jesus Christ as your Lord You're willing to reflect and consider the fact that the problem in the relationship you have, it might be you. In fact, it probably is you. And you're willing to be honest about it. Why? Because the last one, knowing Christ, is this, is that you are found in Christ. Verse nine says this, and being found in him, maybe the most important verse here, being found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. So righteousness saying, not having a resume of my own because I'm so great, I'm so good, I'm so accomplished, I'm a nice guy, I do all these things. No, that's not the resume. The resume is that you're found in Christ. And it's a gift. It's a perfect resume. If you like and enjoy big theological words, let me just give you a couple here. Verse nine is all about justification that you are declared righteous by God because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And it's a gift. It says your life is found in Christ Verse 10 is sanctification, the process of becoming more like Christ. Here's what Paul says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That is the process of the Christian life, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, sharing in his suffering. And then verse 11 is glorification, That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That is the future resurrection of your body. Enough theology for this morning. Understanding this, that at the core of who you are is an identity based on something. An identity asks the question, who am I? And whatever the answer to that question is, is it valuable? Do you find it valuable? Who am I and do I matter? Do people around me care? Am I val- do I contribute? And that's an identity. And if it's given to you by the world, it's fragile, it's insecure, it's unstable. And if it's given to you by God, it's stable it's secure, it's beautiful, and it's eternal. And so the question is this, what are you basing your identity on? Are you found in Christ or is it based on your accomplishments? If it's found in Christ, you are safe and loved and secure. This morning we are going to do communion together and communion is a an outward sign that renews in our minds and in our hearts of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. And what is it that allows you to be found in him? It's that Jesus Christ, as I said earlier, was cut off from God because of our sin so that we will never be cut off. What makes your life secure is that God will never cut you off because of your faith in Christ, that your life is eternally stable and secure, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. It's the best news that this world can ever offer us. And Paul is writing from his heart about something that he cares deeply about. And so it's worth it for us to ask hard questions about what you are basing your life on. And communion is a time to remember God's love for you. That the body of Christ was broken so that you don't have to be broken. That blood was shed so you can live in wholeness of life with him. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that through the work of your Holy Spirit that we would experience the resurrection power that you write about here. Father, I pray that that we would be willing to take time and reflect on what you've done for us. The love you give to us. The stability you give to us. The eternal security that's found in your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that we would reflect on what we must count as loss to gain you, to gain your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would loosen, loosen the desires of our heart, free us from the things of this world to fall more in love with you. We love you. In the name of Jesus, amen. The worship team will lead us in communion through worship and I invite you that if you are a follower of Christ to, partic- to participate with us and if you, that's something that you're, st- you're still thinking through, you're unsure about then I just um, offer this time for you as a time of reflection to, to contemplate the love of Christ and if you are a follower of Christ celebrate the love that God has for you by sending his son Jesus Christ to the cross. That's the love of God demonstrated for us all.